Welcome to Juilliard's Everything Arts Related in and Around Austin. I spoke with singer and songwriter Morgan James, who's delighted to be coming to Austin this weekend. She shares how excited she is to get back on the road and perform again, what her pandemic experience was like, and all the ways singers are actually a whole lot like athletes. So Morgan, I am really excited to have a chat with you. I'm very excited that you are coming to Austin. Let's let's get that straight out the gate. May 28th at the O4 Center. I'm curious to know, um, you know, how have you been? How's this whole pandemic experience affected you? Uh, well, first of all, I'm I'm happy to get to chat with you, and I'm so excited to be coming to Austin because I've never played Austin with my band. So we're so happy to be coming to Austin. We, you know, my husband and I were quarantined together during the pandemic, and we were extraordinarily lucky because we were still able to make music. You know, that's one of the benefits of being quarantined with another musician. Um, Yeah. So we were still able to do online shows, online concerts, and, you know, cobble together, you know, a musical life when so many other artists were not able to. So we we were very, very lucky. That is lucky because, you know, a lot of the artists I've spoken to, Morgan, really struggled because where they feel alive the most is on stage. So it's great that um, you and your husband together kind of had an outlet. Yeah, we did. We really did. You know, we did something like uh, 75 live shows online and, and um, we did we made like 150 videos. I mean, we were, we, we tried to stay very creative and very active because we knew that if we didn't, you know, we might, you know, really slip into the sadness that was surrounding so much of what was going on in our, in our country. Yeah, for sure. And you had, um, you went through the pandemic in New York city. Is that right? Yeah. And so that to me, that seems like it would have been extra tough because having lived in New York City, I I have a real feel for how confined you really are. It's not like you had, um, you know, all this outdoor space and and like twenty two hundred square feet. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody moves to New York City, you know, to sit inside their apartments. Everyone moves to New York City for all the things that are wonderful about New York, which are the shows and the food and the wine and the activities and the culture. And of course, all of that was shut down. Um. That being said, um, we were lucky to move into a bigger apartment right before the pandemic, just coincidentally. Um, and so we had a bigger space than, than a lot of people did. But, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a New York City lifer and I'm, I'm here for life and I love this city so much. And when everybody started leaving, um, I really felt this loyalty to stay and see it through and make sure that our city was going to be OK. Sure. And I can completely understand that, um, especially having lived there. It's such a it's a real special experience to be there. So I definitely identify with that feeling. Yeah. Where did you grow up, Morgan? Well, I spent my childhood in Idaho. Um, and then when I was about 12, we moved to California. And then when I was 18, I moved to New York. So I've been in New York longer than anywhere else. Wow. Did you, as a kid, did you have a mind to move to New York? Did you say, oh, I want to go to school in New York? Was that part of like something that had just entered your psyche? It entered, um, I pretty much knew I wanted to go to New York um, around eighth grade or freshman year of high school. Um, When I was a kid kid, I was not a city kid. Obviously, I'd never been to a city. I was from a small town in Idaho. So I I think that people knew, who knew me as a kid are very shocked that I'm such a city girl. But yeah, but around high school, I discovered, um, you know, I really became passionate about Broadway musicals and everything related to New York. And I was just 
my dream was to move to New York and I never looked back. And is that also when you crystallized for you that you wanted a career in music, you wanted to be a singer? Yeah, I, I didn't know I would be writing music and fronting a band. I had no idea. That was really never a part of my plan or dream. I had no idea. But it definitely, um, I've been, I've pretty much been set on being a singer since, since about eighth grade. <laughs> oh, wow. And were your parents supportive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my parents were supportive. They got me into every activity and every club and helped me, you know, apply to all the best schools. And my grandmother paid for my voice lessons from the time I was, you know, a sixth grader until, until she passed away. Truly, she, she was one of my biggest supporters. Oh, wow. That is so great. God, what a hug of confidence that must have been to buoy you up just to get out in the world. Well, you know, my parents were um, initially they were like, well, we were hoping you'd be, you know, in something slightly more stable. But but they were so supportive. They they knew that they couldn't, you know, persuade someone away from their dreams and and they've done everything to make it possible for me to be here, you know? Yeah, that is so great. Now, I read that you went to Juilliard, which is like one of the most competitive schools to get into. What was that process like? Uh, you know, the process, it was a long time ago, but the process is very, very difficult. Um, you know, for singers, pianists, and violinists, which are the top three most competitive programs, and um, you have to send a pre-screening tape. Um, and then you're invited to audition. You can't even audition unless you're invited. Then you go fly to New York, you go and audition. And then from there, you have to be called back again. Um, it's a very, it's a competitive audition process, but more so than that, it's such a competitive environment to be in for four years. It's a very, it's not a socially conducive place. You know right. what I mean? It's, it's really all business. <laughs> yeah. I've read it's, it's really tough and like you, you just feel under pressure. Yeah. You know, I may have changed. So it's obviously been a long time since I was there, but uh, you know, it was, I put, I set my mind, I had my heart set on going there, you know, whether or not it was the best program for me personally, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I had my heart going there because I wanted to be, I wanted to go to the best place. I wanted to be dropped into New York city and, and to go to this place that all these legends had gone to. And how do you think that sort of shaped you? Like in retrospect, looking back, how do you think that has shaped your musical life? Um, well, it's a classical training program. So it's a classical foundation. And much like ballet, um, it, it gives you this foundation um, for any other genre that you attempt or practice then on out. Um, so even though I don't sing classically anymore, it gave me ultimate discipline, hard work. It gave my technique a foundation that has made it really uh, given, I think it's given my singing longevity, you know, and it's established in me the um, importance of technique, you know, so, so many singers in musical theater and in pop music hurt themselves um, and it's very easy to do, um, but it's given me this foundation of technique and hard work that I hopefully keeps my voice in good shape for for a long career. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. You know, Celine Dion has famously talked about how she takes periods of vocal rest to make sure she can have longevity in her voice. Do you have like a vocal hygiene routine sort of like that or is yours different? Um, every every singer's, you know, routine is totally different, just like every athlete's, you know, routine sure. is completely different. Um, it really depends, but I, I go to lessons every week. I drink a lot of water. I get a lot of rest. Um, I, I mean, the best thing for your voice is rest if you can do it. I mean, the worst thing for your voice is actually speaking, not singing. So it's if you can truly vocal rest for periods of time, it's great. I've I've rarely been able to do that, <laughs> but um, it's 
you know, you have to do, you have, every singer carries with them a host of different herbs and, and remedies and steamers and um, steam and water and rest are the best things that you could do for your voice. Oh, uh, that is good to know. I didn't realize speaking was actually harder on your voice than singing. I would never have guessed. Oh, speaking is the worst thing for your voice ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, you know, and when people go on vocal rest or they're sick, sometimes they'll not sing for a couple of days, but they'll still be talking. I mean, talking is the absolute thing that wears down your voice the most because you're not using breast support. You're not sustaining it in any sort of um, supported fashion. You're just kind of frying on your cords over and over again. <laughs> wow. Okay. You're really giving me an education, Morgan. I really appreciate this. Now you mentioned <laughs> you didn't think that you were going to be writing music and leading a band. What was your vision kind of around that time you were, you were leaving Juilliard? What did your ideal sort of career and scenario look like? Well, I moved to New York. I wanted to be a Broadway star. I wanted to be on Broadway. That was my dream from, from you know, when I was younger. Um, so that's what I pursued. And that's what I, you know, did for many, many years. Um, and I did five shows on Broadway. And then, um, and I, you know, experienced it and did yeah. it and learned a lot about this. And, um, and I, I kind of discovered that I really um, was drawn to being my own boss and, and singing things that were more for my heart that I wrote, not just singing, you know, um, being a part of pieces that were other people's art. Right. Okay. So, so you got the dream and you felt it and you experienced it and that enabled you to kind of, to continue on in your journey and hear your own voice. Yeah, absolutely. That's what led me, you know, to start to, you know, start my first band and start timidly, you know, putting my toe in the water of singing other, you know, doing arrangements of other people's songs and singing covers and, and then eventually gave me the courage to start writing my own music. And you said timidly, like, so that was hard to do at first. You were like feeling your way through it. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, any new skill, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get brought up writing songs and arranging songs. I got brought up in theater and choir and, and music in that way. So when I started to go in that direction and, and, show people this other voice that I had inside me. Um, it took courage at first, of course. Yeah. What an interesting journey. You know, Morgan, I'm curious to know who you were most inspired by. Because when I first heard your voice, I was like, oh, my God, her voice is crazy beautiful. And the first thought I had was it's like I was trying to describe to a colleague <laughs> what you sounded like. And um, I said, it's kind of like a cross between Billie Holiday and Sarah Vaughn, except that's not even it. Oh, wow. That's a great compliment. Um I will absolutely take that, although I don't necessarily hear it because those two are just so, wow, talk about legends. Um, I think my biggest influences, I mean, Aretha Franklin is my number one vocal influence. Um, Aretha Franklin, Bonnie Raitt, Joni Mitchell, Nina Simone, those are just a few of the, of the women that I absolutely love and think, you know, and they all had long, incredible careers. I love Ella Fitzgerald, of course. I love Prince, D'Angelo, um, Paul Simon. I have I have so many people that that I really look to for inspiration and, and I just I feel like it's my ongoing part time job to listen to them and learn. Oh yeah. So like you never really stop learning. Are you still to this day learning things uh, about your voice and your music that you didn't realize you had? Oh my God. Every, every single day, you know, it's never done because it's a living instrument. You know, it's not a painting that you hang on the wall and it's done. It's your, my, everybody's instrument, everybody's vocal cords, they're, they're a plant, you know, they're constantly growing and changing and living and, and aging, frankly, you know, and that's why I still go to lessons every single week. And I'm, 
you know, you can't take out your chords and set them aside like a cello or a violin. So you're always learning about your instrument and trying to keep it as safe and healthy as possible. And it starts to change or maybe you gain a new skill from different things you've been working on. Or maybe you lose part of your skills because of the way your body is changing. And, and it's, so you have to keep up on knowing what your instrument is doing. That's extraordinary because I feel like I think a lot of people think, well, if you're a gifted and talented singer, you know, that's kind of just the thing you're naturally good at and you don't really have to put as much work or energy into it as you might have to do like another job. But what I'm hearing you say is like it's a constant evolution. Well, it's, it's an, singers are athletes. Great singers are athletes. And you would never expect an athlete to stop training. And yet you say to singers all the time or sometimes sometimes singers who lose their their edge, it's because they, they stop training, they stop practicing, they stop thinking of it as a living creature. Mm. And, um, you know, you look at an athlete, and of course, they train every day, of course, they go to the gym every day, of course, they're still evolving in the diet and the supplements and the, and the things they do. So I think we should think of of great singers that way, you know, true athletes. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. It's never occurred to me, really, but it makes so much sense given what you just said. And also thinking about you're you're heading out on tour and that's a lot of wear and tear on the body and you've got to make sure you're getting good sleep. So how do you feel? I mean, you must be extra excited for this tour since nobody has been anywhere in two years. I am. I am so. Hold on. There's a siren outside. We're we're in New York City, baby. Yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> Um, I am so happy to be touring again. You know, it was, it can all be taken away from us as we learned. So there's an extra, you know, scoop of gratitude on every single tour date that I get to perform. Um, And I haven't been to Texas in a few years um, and I've never played in Austin with my band. So we're, we're so happy that, you know, to be back at it. Oh, I can't believe this is your first trip to Austin. That makes me so excited for you because you're going to love it. Well, I've been to Austin before. Um, I performed with PMJ and I've been there just for recreation. Okay, but gotcha. Never but you haven't performed with this. Yeah, exactly. I've never gotten to bring my band. So I'm very happy to be there. And, and we love playing Dallas and Houston as well. And, and so, yeah, it, the band is amazing and they're going to have a great time. Cool. Okay, so let's talk about the show at the O4 Center on May 28th. What can we look forward to? Well, I'm bringing... Um, I'm going to be singing a lot of music from my album, Memphis Magnetic. Um, So it's going to be kind of soulful, blues-based, a lot of my original music and some of our favorite covers, as always. Um, I've got an amazing organ player, Pat Fusco from Memphis, my husband, Doug Wombles from Memphis, and my drummer, Sarah Gooch, uh, just graduated from the Juilliard School, so she's a little firecracker, and... I think everyone's going to love the band. Oh, wow. Very nice. This is exciting. Okay. So May 28th, 7 p.m., the O4 Center. And people can get tickets. I think it's the O4Center.com. Is that right, Morgan? Yeah, absolutely. Or they can go to MorganJamesOnline.com. And uh, there's a pre-show meet and greet if you want to add on the VIP meet and greet. Um, that happens before the show as well. Okay, that is terrific. Well, thanks so much, Morgan, for making time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you want folks to know about your music or about the show? If anybody's curious or doesn't know my music, um, all my music, all my albums are available on all streaming platforms. You can find me on YouTube. And I hope to see you at the show. Oh, Morgan, thank you so much. This is so exciting. So we'll just say it one more time. May 28th, 7 p.m., the O4 Center. So looking forward to you and your band coming to Austin. And thanks again for chatting with me. Oh, thanks so much for making the time and hopefully see you in a couple of weeks. 
Thank you so much for listening to Juilliards. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Morgan James. And if you did, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you want to hear more from Juliet, listen to Magic 95.5 weekday afternoons. She's on the air from noon to seven, keeping you company while you're at work or on that all too lengthy drive home.